0: just realizing how broken it was. There's just, there was mm-hmm. just so much that was just defective about HR and still is. So it's uh, it resumes. Let's just start with that. They, they're stupid. They don't work and everybody knows it. Yeah. There's so many articles out. You can just find infinite articles about how resumes don't work and yet we still use them. It makes no sense.
1: The following is a conversation with Katherine McCord. Catherine is neurodiverse and built her career on inclusive innovation in people operations and HR tech. She is also the founder of Titan Management, a company dedicated to helping its clients better take care of people in the workplace to help set up organizations for continuous growth and sustainability. She also lives by the motto that different is not a deficit. Here's her story. Catherine, really appreciate you taking the time today. How's the the weather treating you down there in Florida?
0: It's very nice, thank you. It's a nice, cool fifty eight degrees, sunny, absolutely lovely.
1: Yep, yeah, would uh, definitely love to be there that time of the year. But uh, <laughs> aspiring to do that one day. Um, but speaking of aspiring, you've done a lot in the HR space, have built up a really successful company, and really grateful to have you as a guest. As I have a lot of really fun stuff to get into. Uh, but before I get into all of that a uh, really hot topic these days is neurodiversity and you're someone that actually identifies as neurodiverse. Yeah. So just to touch upon, can you talk about some of the challenges that you've had kind of growing up with neurodiversity? You know,
0: it's funny. I didn't have any really. I mean, <laughs> really? people are always like mesmerized by that fact. Like they're expecting like, Oh, my life was so tough. Not at all. Um, my parents had a, what is unfortunately a unique response to uh, mm-hmm. to neurodiversity and they just steered into it and they were like all mm-hmm. right so this is how your brain works and that's okay we're just gonna roll with it right and so mm-hmm. the very first first one that they figured out was the obsessive compulsive disorder i was about four years old when they figured that out and mm-hmm. then uh, later on we figured out the uh, misophonia which just means that there are certain sounds that actually create a neural response that basically make me malfunction uh, so it's not just i don't like the sound it actually Cause a, a, a neuro glitch, so to speak, and then mm. um, they are on the bipolar, and then way later in life, I got the, the seizure disorder as well, and um, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't have any of that. Um, and what's funny is the few times in life that I remember people being odd about it, you know, like mm-hmm. having a strange response to it, I. My natural default is that I just assume that they're defective. (laughs) It wasn't me, so I was I was perfectly fine. Um, I didn't start having any concerns until, um, the depressive cycles with the bipolar kicked in. That was the first Mm -hmm. kind of rough, uh, rough patch, and that was interesting. That was, um. You know, that when you're that young, you have the hormone shifts anyway, and then you have chemical depression kicking in that's you know that's an adventure um mm-hmm. to say the least, but I was blessed i was um my parents supported me in not wanting to medicate for anything, mm-hmm. and so i I just went on and um and I had a great psychologist help me learn to self map and to take care Mm -hmm. of myself. And once we figured out it was bipolar several years later, uh, even before they were allowed to put the diagnosis on my actual chart, it was just suspected uh, at the time called manic depression, not bipolar. Uh, We learned to self-map. I learned to take care of myself and how to accommodate myself. Um, And that took years of work, but I learned to successfully manage it without medicating. So my journey is kind of different in that way. I didn't have a struggle or a or anything like that. It was, it was just other than, I mean, I guess the depression kind of was, but I feel like, mm-hmm. um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't really that bad. And as a kid, like a little kid, nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no idea. When, when,
1: when we're kids, we're all just trying to enjoy life and really interesting that you were able to get through that without self-medicating. I know that's also a really hot topic these days in yeah. the sense that you know, some medications are needed for certain things, but you also have the argument that you don't want to make people dependent, especially at a younger age. So yep. very cool how you're able to work around that dynamic. Yeah. As a quick follow on there, do you think we're all a little bit neurodiverse?
0: No. <laughs> so let me clarify the difference. So everybody has behavioral diversity, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody processes thought differently. But what neurodiverse has come to me, and this was not the original use of the term, but what it's sort of evolved to mean is a medically dif- uh, medical difference in how a, information is stimuli is processed. So it's, it is different. So everybody processes differently. Neurodiversity is a much more visible and sort of um, elaborate version of that. So Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, and it tends to come with both disability and benefit both. And not everybody has that that unique balance. So I would say about uh, according to different estimates and different data that you look at somewhere between about 25 to uh, 33% of the population is what we Mm -hmm. technically call neurodiverse. And then the rest is just everybody being their unique selves.
1: Got it. Interesting. I, I did know that. So I'm happy to, to learn something new every day. <laughs> so, interesting to hear the dynamic around that and kind of how nerd neurodiversity is defined and kind of the demographics in our society. Yeah, yeah. But more specifically, in your case, you say that you have six invisible disabilities. Can you just clarify as to what they are?
0: Um, I Sure. Yeah. So I have. And actually, my doctor keeps trying to squeak in a few more. And I told her, absolutely not. Like, we're cutting it off at six. This mm-hmm. is it. you just got to fit them on in there. Um. Magic so. Like, I was like, no, ma'am. So I mentioned three already, which is the misophonia, the obsessive compulsive disorder, and the bipolar. I also have a seizure disorder. There is not really a name for it, but basically my TIAs, uh, which are many strokes, evolved into seizure activity, and then there's just some other neuro complications with that, so that's one. And then I have, uh, and then I have MCAS, which is mast cell activation syndrome so basically my body will create anaphylactic responses to everything which makes a lot of things dangerous and complicated Mm -hmm. for me um it's it's really weird too because like it doesn't even have to be a an actual substance like a texture can give me a rash it's very weird it's it's a very bizarre condition it's kind of my least favorite um and then i have uh and then i have copd from covid Mm -hmm. thank you so much covid for that and (laughs) then Um, So my lungs don't work right. And then I have other health conditions as well that I guess legally fall under disability. But medically, I wouldn't really be considered disabled Mm -hmm. for them. Like I have uh, uh, irregular heartbeat. I have a bladder condition. I have arthritis. I have all kinds of stuff. But medically, I don't know. if Most doctors wouldn't consider me disabled by those things. It's just Mm -hmm. more of a condition, (laughs) so Mm -hmm. to speak. But basically, my body thinks it's like 80 years old. Is it. Those. Yeah. I literally had Aflac, yeah. an insurance company actually thought they had my age wrong because of all of the things that were wrong <laughs> that actually did. That happen.
1: Well, it seems like you're, you're doing a great job being energetic and fighting through it all. <laughs> and I'm happy actually that you said, which one bothers you the most? Cause the next thing that I wanted to get into was which one do you think aids you the best as in, you also say that neurodiversity is your superpower. It so is. how is that? And which of your kind of six, which yeah. of those uh six traits, would you say helps you out the most? Oh
0: God, no. Well, the, the three that are just medical, just, I wouldn't, other than teach me like perseverance and stuff like that, I wouldn't, and adaptability, I wouldn't say are very helpful, but, uh, mm-hmm. on the neuro side. So the, the science behind that is, you know, the body is designed to balance out and so is the mind. So whenever there's disability, there's also strength, you know, there's, there's a strength somewhere. That's how we're designed as humans. And so for me, I think my, I have, several that i get straight from the the neurodiversity that i love but my favorite one is that from the mania so this is not me 24 7 but <laughs> when i'm in a manic cycle um i work at superhuman street it's superhuman speeds it's really great mm-hmm. i mean it really is like just the way that i process the way i've i'm able to function is just at a completely different level Um, and it's accurate and it's creative and it's, it's a whole other way of being, um, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's unbelievable energy and, and all of that. So that I would say is probably my favorite of all the superpowers that, that, so to speak, that kind of come with the neurodiversity is Mm -hmm. I love the mania and I love the benefits that I get when it comes to work and the creative side of my life.
1: Do you ever get to control when that superpower kind of comes or you just see that it kind of comes and goes and whenever it does, you just try to hone it as much as you can? Oh,
0: no, that is that is strictly hormonal. It's just going to do whatever it's going to do uh, when Great. it's going to do it. Now, when I feel it coming, I know to do certain types of work. I know to kind of focus on certain things. I know how to uh, promote it and how to get it to do the things I want it to do instead of destructive things so that you can go either way so I know how to manipulate it and how to get it to do what I want it to do Uh, but no that one that one's selective now with the obsessive compulsive disorder uh, that's always there and so I can bring that out anytime I want and that gives me you know the strong attention to detail and the ability to really dig and dig and kind of get all the aspects of a project you know, to, to come to light and to really research. Um, so I use that a lot with my, my research and my, my education aspects. So, and, and when I have to do something really mundane that I hate doing, I just kind of kick the OCD in, <laughs> the mm-hmm. urine, and then away we go. So that one, I can't actually activate as I so choose. Interesting.
1: So would you say that the other one, the one that comes and goes is more equivalent to a runner's high in the sense that if you run all the time, just once in a while, you're going to get that feeling where you feel like you're walking on clouds, something like that.
0: Uh no. Um, my doctor describes because we've actually done chemical testing on me before, during, and after. Mm-hmm. Um, that it is equivalent to snorting about three lines of cocaine, but that goes on for days or weeks at a time. Interesting. <laughs> so,
1: I, I would not know, but, <laughs> but
0: interesting to hear your perspective. Would, I wouldn't know either. That's what my doctor <laughs> told me. She was like, "This is this is what it would be like chemically inside of your body." And so basically, mm-hmm. um. Or think about it, like maybe if you drink like, you know, four liters of soda all at once, but you never drink soda. Like what would that Ooh. do to your body? Like what elevations right. would that cause, right? So that's just kind of what it is. It's a very distinct neuro and and physical high. Interesting.
1: But on that note, because I almost imagine, you know, personally, if I'm trying to kind of walk through your shoes, you know, feel how you feel, I'm thinking if I had, I'll, I'll stick with the soda example to try to keep it as kosher as possible, but Say for example, if I was drinking a ton of soda or a lot of sugar and I had that intake and I had all that energy, I'd almost kind of equate it in my head to a caffeine rush in the sense that I'd, I'd have all this energy, but I'd feel almost my body moving faster than, than my mind yes. would want it to move at. So how <laughs> have you been able throughout the years to be able to hone that and in work instead of kind of you know slowly driving yourself crazy? So, that's what's really interesting.
0: It was, so, and, and that's a good question because that's what took a lot of work because mania can go very destructive ways. Right, just like you can if you're hyped up on the budget, right? You can start just doing mm-hmm. some weird and bizarre things, right? Or spending too much, or uh, you know, things like this. And so, um, what I what I choose, what I choose to do instead is I'll do projects that will feed into that, but it has to be very specific things. So things, first mm-hmm. of all, I have to do things, I have to take turns doing things where I can be physically engaged. So maybe cleaning mm-hmm. the house for a while, maybe, you know, so if it's something where I can be physical, and then I can sit and get very creative. And it has to be something where I, can, like, that's when I write, that's when I do my post, that's when I write my book, that's when I, you know, whatever it is I want to write, that's when I do that. That's when I go create things, because that's something that my mind is just going to spiral into and enjoy. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And actually, that's what I, I'll, there's certain people I, I'll call up and I'll go, okay, hey, you said you wanted me to collaborate with you on a project. Today is the day. Let's do this. You know, I'm is, sure this yeah. is the week, you know, let's, let's do it this week. Um, so that's, you just have to kind of steer it. And when you feel those uh, other inclinations, like picking up your phone and spending, you know, however much on Amazon or whatever, you, you have to have things in place. Um, safeguards right, in yeah. place to, to stop that uh, because those kinds of things will happen too so it's a balance of creating the safeguards ahead of time um, mm-hmm. i always tell people have an accountability buddy you know for and, and, it, and this is this works for all different mental health diagnoses anxiety depression um various various sundry other ones as well but in uh, adhd all kinds of things but um, i have a partner and then i have certain friends that when mm-hmm. I'm like that will also act as my safeguard and I'll, and they know to look for certain behaviors and if they see that to distract me and to to get God. me going another way. So using that is is very important. But then feeding into it, like okay, the benefit is, you know, I get creative and I get energetic. Great. So let's do something with that. <laughs> you know? <God. laughs>
1: I love how you said that you have safeguards there because I think especially when it comes to social media, I think these apps and kind of these platforms are getting better and better day by day at Know exactly what to have in front of us. So, for example, you know, personally, um, not that I'm a video editor, but right now, uh, while I haven't outsourced that yet, that's just kind of a function that I have to take on. So, you know, naturally just have been looking at video editing, stuff like that. And if you open up my Instagram, for example, my whole feed is video editing background, video editing feeds. I mean, stuff that's so <laughs> catered towards me that it's so hard to click away from it. So I love that you mentioned having those safeguards there to really prevent you from going crazy. And I think or kind of really focusing on an activity that isn't primarily what you should be doing at the time. So I think that's beautiful and definitely great advice for anyone looking to do that. And the other thing that I felt was really interesting and also brilliant that you do is the sense that when you get into that feeling, when you get into that almost euphoric rush, when say for example, your body is moving faster than your mind, you start out with some kind of physical activity to kind of slow the body down a bit and almost brings your body and your mind to the same level. And at that point where there's kind of that, euphoric connection that's where you can really move forward okay. so i definitely think it's beautiful that oh, you're able to do
0: that. I, I i love doing that and i used to hit the gym so hard when i was manic now i have copd and seizures, so it's not really safe anymore but i used mm-hmm. to love to hit the gym when i was manic to like do that level out right it was it was awesome um and now i do things more like walk the dog clean the house i'll exercise you know here as i'm able to um i'll go shopping and do some stuff I, if it's something i have like you know grocery shopping like shopping shopping mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just you have to kind of level your body out and let your chemicals kind of start to be like, oh, okay, now we know what's going on. All right, <laughs> Let's Got it, for down. sure,
1: it's, it's definitely an interesting dynamic and one I hope people will definitely take away a lot of value from. But on another note, you know, a lot of the work that you've done in your career has been in the HR and recruiting space. So before we get into a lot of your career highlights, there, did you always know you wanted to work in HR and recruiting, or were there any other industries that ever uh, called your name?
0: Oh. First of all, uh, I tried everything on purpose. This was very <laughs> intentional. I I did. I did literally everything from financial services and helping people get out of debt to taking care of animals, all the way over to working for the travel partner to the Dallas Cowboys. I'm a huge football fan. Interesting.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I happen to be a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and I am I am happy that they lost last night. So we're having a great conversation, <laughs> but I feel like I had to, I just <laughs> shamelessly. Part it was up so
0: terrible. It was so terrible, but anyway, uh, i they're getting the
1: playoffs down the line, so we'll have to follow up that We'll have to
0: follow up with that, but no. So I um, so I tried everything, and uh, but I did have an early introduction to recruiting in HR. So my mother worked in recruiting in HR, and both of my parents. My father is a musician and an educator, and my mother is uh, is an HR professional, and both Mm -hmm. of them. Took me around their careers my whole life. So from the time I was itty bitty bitty, I was going to work with them and I was seeing what the real world was like, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I would actually play recruiting and HR with my mother and I would have her like fill out applications and to come work with me. I even fired her once, which I think is oh, super boy. rude, but like um, six year old fired their mother. But mm-hmm. I did, um, and so I kind of had that. Early, but she actually did teach me things as we were doing this, and so I kind of had that early intro. And then as I, I did a lot of work with startups, I really loved that environment. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I found it, I kind of stuck with it, like the startup to growth stage kind of companies. And uh, I kind of always ended up with the HR type role because I knew a lot about it. And I did a lot of research. I knew all the laws and regulations and all this kind of stuff. And then I had the, you know, the, the education from my mother, and I just got really good at it. And so uh, I, I did that as well and then i, I ended up working for a uh, a startup recruiting agency and mm-hmm. i loved the act of recruiting but i hated how people were treated so then i struck out and did it on my own but yeah i, I did all i did everything
1: <laughs> the, the whole book i did all of
0: it and it was great it was great learning experience
1: so, would you say that throughout the diversity of roles that you did, whatever role you were doing, you always kind of catered or naturally progressed towards more HR or a people-facing role, and that's really kind of what led you to, you know, do what you wanted to do? Not
0: always, but towards the end of all of that, yes. Um, not yeah. always. I, I was always highly successful. The only thing I stunk at out loud was retail. I was horrible. I was not good <laughs> retail.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, any, any funny retail stories you have there? <laughs>
0: Um, there was one time it was around Christmas and I was working for Kohl's, a great organization. That's all, that's all you had to
1: say, by the way. Christmas Kohl's. Christmas we are, we're already Christmas I,
0: I, I want to highlight that this has nothing to do with Kohl's. They are wonderful. Mm-hmm. They were a fantastic employer, but I, <laughs> I went into a changing room because part of mm-hmm. my job was collecting all the clothes, you know. Mm-hmm. And I walked into one, and there was literally a pile up to my hip. Oh, of boy. clothes, like of the whole thing was just covered. I don't know what these people were doing. And I just went, Nope. And turned around. <laughs> I just, I can't do it. I can't. I'm sorry. I am not a mommy. I am not cleaning up after this ridiculous event. <laughs> we ended up making a group project out of it because it was so bad and it was it was just so ridiculous. Um and other customers were even like, oh my god, like what the heck? who does that? you know mm-hmm. um but i just i wasn't yeah that was not that was not at all for me but as i got as i got older and i, I started um um working in different in different roles and i did more and more with startups i did kind uh, mm-hmm. gear more and more towards the hr side of things as i went
1: got it interesting and awesome to hear about the, the cool story there and the fact hey, your face were able to work that out always Always fun, fun stories working in Pyre industries. Uh, On a personal note, I used to work at Olive Garden, not to get too into it, but I also have a a ton of interesting restaurant stories. And uh, well, I I wasn't there for
0: sure. Yep, I feel you.
1: Restaurants (laughs) are certainly, uh, as you could probably attest to this, they're a well-oiled machine. And when one part of the house falls, the whole house falls. The whole
0: house falls, yep.
1: And we we do our best to make sure uh, none of the customers really know what's going on. But that's uh, stories for another day. But Ultimately, kind of, you had a variety of roles and ended up really pursuing kind of this HR function and ended up Mm -hmm. starting Titan Management. What would you say the motivation was jumping from working within kind of an HR role at a company to kind of pursuing your own uh, venture?
0: Just realizing how broken it was. There's just, there was Mm -hmm. just so much that was just defective about HR and still is. So, It's uh, a resumes. Let's just start with that. They're stupid. They don't work. And everybody knows it. There's so many articles out. You can just find infinite articles about how resumes don't work. And yet we still use them. It makes no sense. We have Mm -hmm. HR tech has not really evolved. Well, let me, let me back that up. Um, Applicant tracking has not the part, that part of of HR tech has not really evolved since the nineties, which is nuts. Mm -hmm. Job boards have hardly, they've started to We've, we're seeing the starting of some some evolution there, but they didn't evolve for about 25, 30 years. It, mm-hmm. It's it's so bad. The way that we interview is ridiculous. I like I don't I spend so much time talking to clients about how to properly interview, and they're just mind blown. They're just mind blown by the stuff that I tell them, which to me is like the most obvious common sense stuff. But <laughs> I just have no idea. And part of it is is that we don't teach anybody how to do these mm-hmm. things, and so it just keeps the bad habits just keep getting perpetuated over and over again. But that's why I got into it. It's it's broken. It's completely mm-hmm. broken. So I decided I needed to help fix it. That's the O C D, by the way. <laughs>
1: no, I mean you really, really <laughs> have a superpower it's greed for sure. And you know, I definitely agree with you in the sense that I think a lot of recruiting, while it's certainly a tough job and you know, one that's definitely really underrated, mm. you know, there are a lot of things that could be approved upon, it, especially considering uh, the relative lack of innovation since the nineties, as you mentioned. But You know, a quick follow into that. Can you describe one thing, you know, from point A to where we are now to point B, how we should be interviewing and kind of how do we close that gap?
0: In the interview process specifically? Sure. So uh, one of one of the most fascinating concepts to me in interviewing right now. Is and, and I shouldn't say right now. It has been this way for at least the last hundred years. And By the
1: way, sorry, I have to I have to bump in there. I hope this interview is better than any job interview you've ever had in the past. So yeah, just, oh yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> God, I hope so. Uh, it's good. So we've had um, a lot of uh, over the last hundred years. Is that there's this idea that candidates need to jump through hoops, mm-hmm. you know, and and that that's what this is about, and that we need to grill them and like just like dig in there we need to not trust them and it's this whole like kind of maniacal sense that we have about interviewing it's very negative it's very um uh, it's very it has kind of an attack feel to it it's very aggressive Mm -hmm. um and it's very burdensome on the candidates it really is and there's not a lot of respect shown it's like companies will just ghost people they just they expect you to move at every at every chance but you know, it's not equally flexible on the other side. So it's just, it's just very backward. And so what you get is starting from the application process, which is usually cumbersome and, you know, you've applied to jobs. It's insane. Yeah, it's insane. I used to
1: work in corporate America in another lifetime. somewhere I'm aware of all, yeah, this, you, all you these. Know, yeah, you know,
0: like it take the, these applications. I once watched somebody apply to work at Walmart. This is about two and a half years ago. Apply to work at Walmart. It took over an hour to apply to work at Walmart. Crazy. What? So, so you start with that. The application is is irritating. Then you have, you know, the whole interview process is cumbersome and long and grueling. So instead, um, and and it's not humanistic. It's it's very, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? What can you do for me? So instead, what I teach companies to start doing is to make the application process a as inclusive and simple as possible. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and stop with the. The the new trend, and this is so funny to me, and I think that it's companies trying to be inclusive, but it's just backfiring and they're not doing it well and it's making it hilarious.
1: Mm. Is now
0: they're doing stuff like asking your sexuality, asking what your disability is. it's so dumb, yeah. It's not your business. Whoa, nosy much? No, thank you. Yeah. So keep the application focused on the job, the job. A, <laughs> and, and keep it simple and short and easy. Um, If you want to gather diversity data, do that anonymously. I'm all for it, but do it anonymously and not tied to the application. So anyway, go through that. Uh, When you get to the point of interview, make accommodation standard options. So most of the population, 54% of the population, or over 50%, excuse me, over 50% of the population can benefit from some form of accommodation at some time or another. So whether it's that... Uh, you have a migraine that day, whether it's you know hearing impairment, whatever it is, whatever it is that you have going on. So make accommodation standard options, just build them in. And then start every interview by taking care of the candidate. Tell them everything that they want to know about the team, about the job, about the salary, about the benefits, everything you can think of. And then ask them if they have any questions. Address those questions. And then say, this is my favorite thing in the world to say to people. And it works and it sets a whole different tone for the whole interview, which is mm-hmm. tell me what's important to you in your next role. What matters to you? And then go from there and and just shift it around. You know, and I teach people to be very uh, to, to be prepared for different communication styles, you know, mm-hmm. to have different ways to ask questions and then. And then take that all the way through to the, the offer stage and all that. So it's just it's a whole new kind of respect factor that needs to be happening and a whole new mutual beneficial mutually beneficial, you know, status. And um I think it's really about bringing humanity into human resources, which sounds so cliche and stupid, but sure. it's, but it's really true. It's time. It is, it is. And um, so that's that's a big piece of it. I, I call it human centric interviewing. And that's what it means. Mm-hmm. And just keep putting the focus where it belongs. So keeping it simple, keeping it professional, simplifying everything. So we make things way the frick too compl- complicated and then focusing on the on the candidate.
1: You know, that's a brilliant point that you make. And I think that if we think back to, you know, I think we used to have a time when hiring was simple and then I got more complex with a lot of the rise in professional services. You know, these days, I almost imagine, say, if I was hiring someone for the podcast, I would put like video editor, you know, someone who likes to edit videos, you know, just send me an example of where you like to edit videos. I'm not going to ask them, you know, what their race, religion, gender, like their whole person, like, no, like, I'm sure, you know, everyone's different. Everyone's got their own vibe going on. You know, I just wonder why firms aren't doing that more these days, why it has to be such a long process. It's just, it's a mystery.
0: And to your point, they focus on the wrong thing. Like I get, mm-hmm. and, it, and one of the, one of my favorites that cracks me up is this obsession with years of experience. Mm-hmm. Like Who cares? What what possible difference could that make? What if you have somebody who's been doing it for 10 years and they're awful and they're awful at what they do? That has nothing to do with it. Level of expertise. Like you said, show me how you can do this thing. Can you exactly, do it? Yeah. Great. Focus on prob- solving the problem. Like you didn't say how many years of video editing? Have you ever worked on Facebook? But no, no. Show me a video. Yeah, show me the. Video. Can you do it? Great. Problem solved. Let's work together. Oh, and can I stand you? Like great. Like let's let's do this. I think it's I think it's really just that simple, and we've been overcomplicate overcomplicating it the whole time. Solve the problem that I have.
1: Yep, for oh, sure. Do you have integrity?
0: Like that's it. Like those are the yeah. two things.
1: No, definitely for sure. And you know when I think of doing something like that, it's almost in the case of a lot of times their companies are trying too hard to find the perfect candidate, to find someone who fits everything. And, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of people that could fit the bill, but I think half of them, you know, you take so long in the process that maybe there's another company that comes along and has a simple process. And the other half are just, you know, might see an application and think, you know, I don't want to waste my time with this. So companies could also be losing candidates for not being, you know, as simple as they should be, but definitely a beautiful in the sense, you know, being able to really articulate in a simple way of what you're kind of looking for. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I wanted to add to that as well, and to one of the things that you just said is that not all years of experience are equal. You know, I think that it's really hard to standardize years of experience across firms, across different you know, types yeah. of work. You know, someone could have 10 years of experience, but that firm didn't have, you know, a lot of business or had a very kind of mediocre amount of business and someone could have two years of experience, but they've been on fire for the last two years. So they've learned to really deal with that. So uh, I definitely think that's a better is a better way or I don't want to say, better way, but. It's a, it's no, a good, you it's,
0: can just say it. your way is better. It's okay. No, no, <laughs> that was that better. Um, what I, I think
1: that the way I was trying to articulate is in the sense that it's not good to, it's a better thing not to have years of experience, but better to have more of a problem solving approach because yeah. I think that's more objective. And I think that goes both ways in the sense that yeah. the firm can see, you know, what they're exactly getting and also the candidate can determine if that particular skill set is what they're trying to do. Yes. So
0: and you, I think we need to approach recruiting a lot more like dating. I really do, because then it's sure. mutual, right? And you're getting to know each other, and you're asking the questions, and you're determining if it's a mutual good fit, right? And sometimes it's a great fit for later, but not right now. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just just no to you, you know, mm-hmm. like immediately, like <laughs> no thank you. Um, other times it's, you know, we're just gonna be friends, so maybe we have this other way of collaborating, but it's not this but i think that there needs to be a lot more get to know you and real conversation as opposed to these scripted questions that we ask people that don't actually tell us squat
1: yeah for sure it's it's outdated and i hope i hope that over time things get a little more simple and it'll be interesting to see what the vibe is in a, in professional services especially considering all the shenanigans that have been going on in the last few years and oh yeah there have been so many that they could they could you know be a whole podcast in itself but we'll try to try to keep it concise for the folks here but You know, on that note, on a similar note, you know, you've been building your own firm now and have had a lot of success, fortunately. What would you say has been the hardest part of running Titan Management?
0: Two things. Uh, Number one, and this is for, I think, most entrepreneurs, I I hate, I genuinely hate the sales. (laughs) cycle. It's irritating. It's just not... A thing that's natural for me. There are a lot of people out there that live and breathe for the sales cycle. That's, that's not for me. I prefer to be doing the work. So that part's kind of painful. Um, mm-hmm. but then the other part is it it's a tough lesson and it's an important lesson to learn to balance your integrity and your business. Mm-hmm. And what I figured out relatively early on is that you can't you can't be flexible on your integrity at all. You know, it has to be, you can't be like, oh, this is theirs and this is mine and blah, blah, No, no, no. The integrity needs to, needs to match. The values and the ethics need to match. You know, this person yeah. may have a different way of working and that's fine. We can be flexible with that. But the integrity has to be in alignment. Um, and that is one of the earliest lessons and one of the things I've held on to. Because of that, I've had to fire clients, including one time my most lucrative client. I lost mm-hmm. six figures a year It's crazy. over firing somebody over an integrity issue. And I'm proud yeah. I did it. I have no problem with the fact that I did it. But you talk about a tough business lesson. It's like, buy six figures a year, <laughs> that kind of thing. But it's important to have that that kind of alignment. It is. For sure.
1: On, on that note, what's been the most rewarding, and I won't prod too deep in here because I'm not going to, I don't want to ask for any client sensitive info, but High level. What's been the most rewarding kind of project that you've been able to work on so far?
0: Oh gosh, so that's easy. There, there are a few. Uh, one has been uh, making accommodation standard within companies, helping them figure out what that looks like because it makes all the employers happy, employees happier. It raises their productivity. It raises their employee engagement. Um, it ultimately increases customer satisfaction and profits. It's an awesome process, um, and it's a mm-hmm. really cool thing to watch. It's very easy to implement. Um, another one. Is, another one is teaching people how to to properly interview right that's always fun of doing those classes mm-hmm. but another one and i'll tell you this is this has been something i've only started doing in the last year and a half or so uh, but i've started teaching uh, responding in curiosity not ego so i've actually been teaching organizations how to break people at organizations how to break the ego defense that we all have it's naturally built mm-hmm. in, lot of shame or blame kind of thing how to break mm-hmm. that how to stop it and then how to respond in curiosity and and what that does and how you know how to do it properly, and it's amazing to see the difference that that makes. And not just at work, but I've had like managers and executives. I've I worked with all the way even staff level people message me and talk about the difference that made in their lives. Not just mm-hmm. at work, but like, hey, my husband and I are communicating better. Oh my gosh, my teenager's talking to me again. Like these are things people have actually said to me, and I'm like, great, yeah this is wonderful. So that's been another really wonderful wonderful thing that I've gotten to do.
1: Got it. So you could really see the impact that you're having for sure. Yeah. But on that note, you mentioned interviewing. Do you think that when you help people interview better and in a better way for both the candidate and for you know your client themselves, do you think that after the interview process, there's more of an intuitive feel about whether someone's going to be a good fit or not as oh, opposed yeah. to the old way?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it kind of helps them to realize what actually matters. It's It's a way of thinking more than anything else it's hey this is what you look at this is what you focus on these are the things that don't matter you know and kind of helping mm-hmm. your brain hone in on on what needs to happen and so yes it absolutely does create for better matches 100 you know
1: intuition is a beautiful thing if i ever had a, a quote on my tombstone god forbid hope i live to be to be many years but right. if i ever if i ever had a quote on my tombstone i know this is a sounds off topic but i think you'll you'll really appreciate this it'll be our intuition is one of the most knowledgeable sources in the world. I don't know why we spend all of our lives trying to to counteract
0: it. What? Oh my gosh, I say that all the time. I'm like, the second you get that yucky feeling, listen to it. There is mm-hmm. a reason that that is there, <laughs> you know? I-
1: for sure. I think a lot of times, you know, our intuition is a great guide, but for whatever reason, we try to, I think it teaches us the direction, but I think as humans, you know, we try, or at least in recent years, we, too, we try too hard to overanalyze what it means instead of just kind of going with it. And, you know, worst case, if it doesn't work out, you, you know, lesson learned, and then you adjust your intuition to, to be better next time,
0: you know? I tell people, the only thing I like to make sure of first before i respond to it is is this something that's about this or is this something that's about something else because you do get mm-hmm. those instincts that are from a past experience that left a strong impression either good or bad right and so the only thing i evaluate in that moment is is this response actually about this or is it about something else if it's about something else all right park it we'll deal with it later but if it's about this i listen to it immediately respond immediately and then later i'll think about it <laughs> but if this is about that there is a reason there is a reason
1: for that. <laughs> yep, yeah, for sure. Definitely, I go with your garden, beautiful around that. And hopefully, companies will be able to adapt to that in the future. But on a slightly different topic, you also have been able to launch something called the Career Launch Podcast. So, pun intended, with the double launch there. And on your podcast, you focus on solving some common issues in the workplace. So, just curious, what are some of the issues that you've been able to solve with people?
0: Oh, yeah. So we've uh, we've worked on a few different. So we've done everything from firing the jerk because some people get really stuck on keeping these just jerks on their staff. Mm -hmm. Why Why are we doing this? This is idiotic. You know, so um, how to do that, how to go about it, how to how to work with somebody who is a jerk when you can't control whether they stay there or not. You know, that kind of thing. Um, We have uh, we've solved some HR tech issues um oh and teaching people about payday law so a lot of people don't know what it is what it means how it applies to them so teaching that um and then busting some myths too i love to bust myths on the show and talk about like um let's see what are some of the ones oh yeah the women don't negotiate as men that's complete hooey um, mm-hmm. well, <laughs> um you know, different things about inclusion different things about um about hiring and so we just kind of go through we bust myths we have a ton of fun um, and we always laugh that's a big thing for me if we're not laughing on the show we failed like it's just just not not a good show unless we're cracking up about something but yeah Yeah. that's, that's a few of the topics that we've covered it's been a lot of fun it's been oh god three years three years of the show and I think I'm going into season five right now
1: Interesting. That's beautiful. Well, congratulations on the success and wish you continuing success there. And I'm happy now and laughing a little bit because you've laughed yeah. a ton on this show. So I'm hoping that <laughs> it's been a good vibe, but <laughs> uh, quick, quick follow on there. You mentioned the, the payday law. Personally, I actually don't know what that is. Is there any way you could touch upon that? Yeah, yeah,
0: about? yeah, sure. So payday law is that wonderful, wonderful piece of legislation that says when you get paid, how you get paid, it kind of governs everything mm-hmm. surrounding pay it ensures that you do get paid in a timely manner it ensures that you know when you leave a job how they pay you at the end all of this now what's crazy is that payday law is not national it's not there are states that don't really? have it there are states that have it really great and there are states that are somewhere in the middle and have some payday law but it's not the best payday law it is bonkers to me <laughs> It is not a national thing. So one of my big campaigns in life is to make payday law a national uh, concept. But it is important to know your rights. A lot of people assume certain rights. Uh, I did. When I was in Texas, we had phenomenal payday law, one of the things Texas is actually really advanced in. And uh, when I came to Florida, I assumed that Florida would have payday law, too. Nope. There's not just the nothing. There's none. There's just nothing. It's Like, good luck. Hope you get paid. Um, <laughs> I hope, you know, hope it all goes well for you. Um, so it's uh, it's not national. It's something that you need to know what's going on, you need to know what your actual protections are, what they actually mean, that type of thing. So I tell everyone, get to know your payday law. It matters mm-hmm. more than you think.
1: You know, well, one, I appreciate the explanation there. I love learning okay. new things. So I you know, they think well, I learned my new thing for the day there. there you
0: but now you know what payday when- law
1: is. Exactly. What's really interesting about that, especially the difference between Texas and Florida is because typically Texas and Florida, I think at least politically have more of a similar approach to how they do business, yet they have these two different two different approaches on payday law, which I think is so interesting, which goes so to show that-
0: The difference between the two is that Texas mm-hmm. has a much stronger uh, sense of workman's um, protections. Yeah, much stronger mm-hmm. worker protections than Florida does. That's That's the difference. So- Corporate. I, I see what you're saying politically. That there are definitely some some uh, alignment, and when it comes to dealing with corporations, there are some uh, senses. There's some definite you know senses of alignment oh, when it comes to yeah. workers' rights and all of that. Mm-hmm. Worlds apart. Texas has done muy bueno. Florida
1: not as bueno. <laughs> not so great. Okay, interesting. No, that's really fascinating to hear because I think a lot of times a lot of these places can get siloed out based off, you know, one way a place historically votes. But then yeah. I think, you know, what you just said is a beautiful case study into why, you know, even though Florida and Texas tend to be a little more conservative, red states, there's still like more complexities kind of regarding yeah. the potential workers' rights there. So I think that's also a really interesting point to bring up. right?
0: It is. And and people get grody about unions, but I'll tell you that in Texas, a big part of why Texas is like that was union work. Now, not all of it. There were other reasons for that as well. But the unions did have a lot to do with with building out those laws. So you have to be grateful to them, at least for that.
1: For sure. Super, super fascinating and happy you were able to educate us all there. Uh, On another note, I think you'll really uh, appreciate this question. But Catherine, if you could go back and tell your 10 year old self something, what would you tell her and why?
0: Oh, gosh. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I think I think that I would tell myself the same thing I teach people every day now because I wish I would have learned it way sooner, which is to make sure that I'm responding in curiosity, not ego and making yes, other another word, focus on learning from others more than educating them about things. So that's mm-hmm. I think that would be the piece of advice I would give.
1: I love I love the way you say that curiosity, not ego, and you know let the let the intuition do its thing, and you know you'll be a, you'll be happy where I lead. So beautiful note on that. Uh, I know you mentioned earlier that neurodiversity is kind of your superpower, but if you could have any of the fictional superpowers we imagine, say for example flying or being invisible or one of the other million things that we saw when we were kids, which one would it be and why?
0: So if I was going to be a superhero, period, I would be Phoenix from X Men, <laughs> <For> and. <laughs> Um, but I, I would have telekinesis, like, and I just mean like all encompassing, like I can throw trees at you, I can throw like make the wind swirl around. I mean anything t- surrounding telekinesis. That's that would be it.
1: <laughs> Got it's so, a it's a cool response and and it definitely a, a unique one as well. But really, uh, really interesting. There is there a favorite book that you've read recently that you'd recommend for people?
0: Oh gosh, um, you know I've I've read I've read quite a few. In the past, I've actually been on, on a book hiatus. <laughs> not really. That like, right when you asked that, I was like, oh, my gosh, I haven't read anything in a while. The last thing I read was Dracula, and I don't think I recommend that for everybody. I loved it, but I don't necessarily recommend it for everybody. Um, no, really, no. There's not, like, a book. I mean, just but what I do tell people is constantly learn. Just do mm-hmm. that. Just constantly learn. Whatever you're into, don't just read the fiction. The fiction stuff is tons of fun, but read the smart the smart people stuff, too, and make sure you're constantly. <laughs> so.
1: Be able to, pun intended, be able to balance the science and the fiction. Yes, and I think that'll Thank
0: exactly. <laughs> yes. you to where
1: you're supposed to. But really interesting on there. You know, you've done a lot in the, the HR space, but is there a dream dinner guest that you'd love to get dinner with, whether it's someone who, an HR legend or kind of anyone else in history? Is there anyone else you, uh, you'd you love to eat okay. with? Okay.
0: So this is kind of random, but there is a brilliant spoken word artist who also was very famous for being in a punk band called Black Flag, whose name is Henry Rollins. He had a great show on History Channel too. Fascinating freaking human. This dude has met like, all these fascinating people. He's been all around the world randomly because he felt like it took the Trans-Siberian Express. Like, who does that? And he's a fascinating, fascinating human. He's good friends with RuPaul. Really cool. And he is the person I've always wanted to sit down and have a conversation with because I love how he dissects information and how he processes things and the way that he thinks. And I think it would be the greatest conversation of my life. Um, I'm infuriated because my husband got to meet him one time and i didn't get to go with them and and participate um and then either that or um queen elizabeth you know what she was she was a true female rock star i mean she just she was amazing she was a world leader um from the standpoint of you know she she was the leader of a powerhouse she she accomplished all kinds of amazing things and i think being a woman in what was very truly a man's world. I mean, we say that now about things, but that was a real man's world back, yep. you know, hundreds of years ago. So I would also love love to have sat down with her and had a had a nice chat.
1: I'm sure that would have been a nice nice chat too over some some tea and uh, <laughs> some really <laughs> great food. But awesome to hear that, and always a uh, great to ask that question because you really get to see how people think and right? you know what people in history they look up to. So really beautiful that you would look up to Queen Elizabeth and especially everything that she's accomplished. Uh, on a similar note, Catherine, what would you say brings you the most happiness in life?
0: Oh, two things. Um, doing the work I do with neurodiversity, I get to speak to a lot of people, and uh, you have you have a real chance to impact people's actual lives, you know, what, mm-hmm. what goes on with them, how they feel about things, um, and and connect with them on a very deep level, and I, I enjoy that immensely, and having that opportunity to teach about something that's that's so personal, um, not just for me, but for people across the world, and making a real difference in that space. And then the other one is my animal rescue work. I've been doing that mm-hmm. for many, many years. We have had almost 70 fosters and counting. I've worked with different rescue organizations, and that brings me infinite joy.
1: That's awesome. Happy to Happy that there's stuff that brings you happiness and Catherine, you've accomplished a ton in your career, and I'm sure you'll continue to accomplish and do a lot of really cool and innovative stuff in the HR space that I hope a lot of companies will listen to this show and be able to hope take away so. a lot from. <laughs> um, but at the end of your life, on top of everything, what do you want to be remembered for?
0: Innovation. It's very simple. Um, innovation and making the world a more inclusive place. That's it. I think it's a it.
1: A beautiful way to be remembered and you know wish you only the best with that and Catherine, it's been an absolute pleasure i'm happy that you got to laugh a lot and <laughs> really appreciate taking the time to go on the show
0: thank you daniel it's been a pleasure
1: thank you for listening to my conversation with Catherine mccord if you enjoyed the episode rate the show on spotify drop a comment on youtube and subscribe